Welcome to another episode of the Parenting Pathway podcast. This is your intrepid host, Pastor Dave Carl, and I'm joined by my friend Nathan Kosurik once again because he is so smart, spiritually mature, and a snappy dresser. Thanks, Dave. I'm wearing my favorite hoodie. Yes, and one of the better ones I, I, I can see there. Now that nobody else can see it, but I appreciate your taking the extra effort here. Oh, you're welcome. Now, Nathan is our pastor of student ministries here at Stonebriar Community Church, so he has all of the answers to any question you may have about teens. Some of them might actually be accurate and helpful. <laughs> Today, we're going to fearless, fearlessly, this, this, this does feel like we're on a high wire right now. We're going to step into the topic of failure. Um, I'm, I'm waiting for... Nathan, to step in and say something about we both have vast experience in this arena. Ah, yes. Ah, yes. (laughs) Uh, But in our culture right now, failure is looked upon as as a disastrous thing to be avoided at all costs, and even more so for our kids. But Nathan strongly disagrees. Oh. Yeah, put it on me, Dave. I haven't heard him say that, but I just, I know in my heart. So we're going to talk a little bit today about failure. Now, I want to set up our discussion today with a word picture because that's just the way my brain works. So when my kids were babies, they instinctively wanted to walk and we did everything we could to to encourage this. I mean, we wanted them to walk. So we, we called to them. We held out toys for them to move toward. And they would often pull themselves up on some piece of furniture and then reach out for me. They finally let go of the furniture and perhaps took a, a you know, a toddler step or two and then went down. Now, as a result of this failure, we, we shamed them. We showed them videos of successful walkers so they would learn how to how bad their failure really was and all to motivate them to walk properly the next time they stood up. Of course, we never did any of those things. <laughs> so Nathan, you've had you've you've had kids. What describe what you actually did with your kids as they were learning to walk? Well, uh, similar to what you described, Dave, we were very harsh with them. <laughs> well, I was hoping for something different. <laughs> no, no, we, uh, we were patient and recognized that they were at an appropriate stage for um, failing <laughs> as they were learning. You know, if, if they were still having that problem, then we would have to conclude that it was something medical and serious, or it was just um, uh, their laziness and reluctance to, to obey their father or something. I don't know, but uh, it'd be very different if, if they were still having that problem now. Sure. But at the time, uh, I mean, you wouldn't, a normal parent wouldn't even refer to taking two steps and falling as failure. No, not at all. We, we clap and Google and, and like, you did it. You did two steps and we'd help them back up again. And if they made three steps next time, that's, that's an additional thing to celebrate. It was, you would not view that process as a series of failures. Not at all. I'll, I'll give you a, a, another more recent example. 
Yeah, we're, we're, uh, I'm teaching our oldest son to drive. And I've made clear that there are certain failures that you don't get a second try. <laughs> the so, physics, physics kick in. Right. But there are other failures <laughs> like uh, bumping a curb or uh, forgetting to signal or something like that. You know, the, uh, the level and the severity of the failure is on some kind of a, a spectrum. And certainly I'm not trying to freak him out every time he fails to signal uh, during a lane change. Right. I, I would say that we, the very process of us learning something is by trial and error. We, we bang on the piano keys when we're kids. We swing the baseball bat too hard and we kind of screw ourselves into the dirt as a result. But it's a valuable and I think even inevitable part of, of learning is the overcorrection. Hmm. And, and learning new things is by definition a risk. And as, as parents, as coaches, as pastors, even employers, we want everyone to feel the freedom to fail as they learn new things so that learning is viewed as an adventure and not a terrifying threat to our well-being. Yeah. And I don't I, I don't know about you. I've met people who the very thought of trying something new puts them into a sweat. Mm. Yeah. Because it's not a bundle of opportunities. It's just a big bucket of threat and and potential failure that that they're not sure they're going to survive. I was thinking about the the context, you know, and and trying to understand why there is uh, an increased sense of fear of failure and uh, maybe which leads to all of the additional um, pressure to succeed. And I was trying to think back to my own childhood and, and you sort of started off just talking about the, the freedom to fail as we learn and grow. And there just seemed like the stakes weren't as high, mm-hmm. you know, when, when I was describing teaching our son to drive, uh, it, it feels like the stakes of failure are catastrophic mm-hmm. uh, in, in our, in our minds as, as parents, we, we're terribly afraid of our, our kids making a, a misstep in their academic life or in their social life or you name it, any area of their lives. And I, I don't know, Dave, you know, uh, you had a childhood at some point. What do you think is, is different now? Why are the stakes so much higher and why does there seem to be so much of a fear of failure? Well, I, I, that's a great question. And I, as, as we talk about failure, I think it would be appropriate to, to def- define success. Yeah. Um, what, what do we want? What are we hoping for, for our kids? And if you don't have that down for yourself or for your kids, you could be way off very quickly. And when when you're done, you could have ended up in the wrong hemisphere. Mm. Um, mm. 
So I think, and this is not a thing that people sit down and they, they ponder because it's fun. I mean, it might seem so obvious that you wouldn't even need to ask, what do I want for my kids? I want my kids to be successful. Mm-hmm. Well, that doesn't mean anything. That, that word has, has no obvious definition to it. Yeah. Better than they're doing now or better than their friends or uh, it doesn't, it, it just kind of means everything or, or nothing all at the same time. So I, I would offer to parents that that's not an acceptable goal, success, because it just doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Um, we, they make movies and write novels about people who are become filthy rich in their industry um, and they have zero friends, family, social skills. And we, we kind of love that those stories because it makes us feel better about ourselves. Like, well, they may, they may be rich, but you know, they don't have any friends. Right. Success financially does not mean success in life. You, you can have financial success and be a dismal failure in, in things that are genuinely more valuable, like being able to have relationships, yeah. having an understanding of a proper understanding of God and scripture and pursuing God relationally, that, that would be a very important goal. Perhaps putting everything on my kids' athletic abilities, because that will translate probably, possibly to a scholarship and that will lead to financial well-being, might direct you away from the kid learning how to be, how to have relational skills and to be pursuing God with all of their heart, mind, and, and, and soul and strength. So I, I think the the target needs to be thought through. Yeah. And it sounds like you're zeroing in on a target there. Just listening to some of the things you just said about uh, the relationship with God and what it means to be a, um, a, a person who understands who they are and how they relate in a healthy way to the people around them. I, I think that is what most people want for their kids, but they just feel like that will happen by itself or with, with little effort. The harder thing is how to hone my kids' athletic skills or academic successes. Those, those are the things we have to work on. The friendship yeah. stuff is easy. The God stuff that'll, I, you know, I don't know why, why we, and, and I speak, personally that why we feel like that stuff it's not less important we just kind of feel like it it ought to be happening by itself and and it doesn't that stuff is hard yeah we're still working on it right all of us so i i i think it would be a good exercise for for all of us to stop and think specifically what do i want most for my kids mm. and 
and not make assumptions or overgeneralize because you you could end up in the wrong hemisphere and and not know why when you get there. Not only what do I want for my kids, but why do I want that for my kids? There, there's a there's a deeper question. Yeah, yeah. And so, what are what are parents afraid of is going to happen if their kids fail? And, and I just just before we we came on and started recording, I was thumbing through an old book that I have on my shelf that really helped me work through a lot of my own worries and anxieties and fears. Uh, it's an older book by a guy named Edward Welch called Running Scared. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you ever heard of that one, but I found it to be very helpful. And he asks two very important questions about our fears. He said, what do these fears say I trust in? And what do my fears say I love? And so when we think about our kids and our fear of failure, um, what is it that those fears are telling us about what we're trusting in and what we truly love? So going back to the athletics example, because that's probably a, a pretty easy one. If I somehow did not achieve the sports glory or success that I wanted to have as a dad, then I could easily try and push my kids into athletics, even though it may not be what they want, you Mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. And then their failure is somehow my failure. And I feel like I will never be the success in sports that I wanted to be going back even to my own childhood. And, and twice. Right. <laughs> twice. So now I can't be like the father of Tiger Woods who yeah. put his son in golf when he was four and he became, uh, you know, this crazy good golfer. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think those, those are great questions and the knowing what the drivers are, are very, are very important because most kids will not say, father, your aspirations for me are different from mine. <laughs> and I would like to talk about how we feel inside about, you know. Yeah. And even if they did, <laughs> the dad would say, yeah, your aspirations are wrong. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that the, the average kid would just either go along with it to his harm. And again, they make movies and write novels about that. Yeah. I mean, you're telling everybody's story, right? About their own relationship with their dad. <laughs> or they they kind of in, inexplicably spin out of control, rebel, and go do crazy things um, because, and the parents are like, I, I don't know what happened. They just flipped out. Well, the kid's like, I can't win this game. Yeah. I can't be what I'm expected to be. And they're not listening and I've, I've talked with several people in the last month or so who cannot figure out how to be heard in, the, in that, that case by their spouse. Like they keep amping things up and the other, and this, the other spouse is not alarmed. Like mm. they're, they're, they're trying to say this marriage is, a, is caving in 
And I literally had a, a, a husband say, you know, I'm not, I'm not at all worried about us breaking up. I have confidence in us. And the wife is sitting there trying to tell him I'm about ready to quit. Yeah. And she can't get him to hear her. And she said, it feels like I'm drowning. Right. It's a lot easier to deny the problem than deal with it. That's for sure. So when you cannot be heard by an important person in your life, it can feel like you're drowning. I'm, I'm alarmed. I can't get them to be alarmed. I I'm feeling crushing pressure from my parents to be something academically or athletically. I don't want that. I'm tired. I can't keep it up. And I've tried to tell them because usually they will have tried to say, you know, I, I don't think I can do that or I don't. And as some coaches do, you just need to try harder. You can do it. I have faith in you. And that feels like encouragement, but it can actually be crushing the soul of someone who's trying to tell you, I, I feel like I'm dying here. Hmm. And, and I think that happens. I, I, know, I know you know kids who have not felt like their parents can hear their soul. Um, and I think you gave me the article a year or two ago about this meritocracy. And it was pretty much about academics. But if you succeed and get into an Ivy League school, for instance, you're not okay. You're just now in a whole new level of performance and achievement. And if you graduate, you're not okay. Hmm. You're now on a whole new level of at the law firm that you go to, yeah. you, you have to work 80 hours a week just to keep up. And, and when you do that for a while, you're not okay. You got to be partner in two years. You know, it's, it's this, this, this successive higher levels of achievement are not soul nourishing. No, you're on a performance treadmill all the time. And, you know, the, um, the idea when, when I was a kid was that you can be anything you want to be if you're willing to, to work hard enough. Yeah. And, and so there's always an element or a, a, a nugget of truth in, yes, in a lot of these things. That's not right? wrong. Yeah. Se. You can achieve a lot if you're willing to work hard. And, and so that's a good thing. But um this, this idea uh, has turned in on itself in our current society for a number of reasons, but one of those would be just how expensive college is and how competitive mm -hmm. the job market is and uh, all kinds of economic factors and different things that have, that have taken place uh, over the last few decades. And so our sense of, of meritocracy is our best attempt to create a, a world that feels fair. You know, if, if we're all sitting down to play a game of monopoly, we all want to have the same rules and the same opportunities uh, in order to be a success. And if, if we work hard and make all the right decisions, then we can come out on top. Uh, the problem is it's not an even playing field and we all kind of sense that. And so I think we, we carry this anxiety with us as parents and, and um, it, it gets picked up by our kids because 
there is a kernel of truth that if you work hard, you can succeed. Right. I mean, yes, that, that yes. idea feels right. Of course. But there's also this, um, this like dagger that's following behind that idea. And it's just um, stabbing us with this, this fear that what if I can't keep up, you know, this idea of this continual rat race that we're running in order just to, to get the cheese. Yeah. And so I, I'm a simple man. I, I feel that the pull to come back around and if, if the definition of success for my kids is I want them to, to be a guided missile, a self-propelled person pursuing the intimacy and the, the acceptance that is available from God and the forgiveness and the freedom to operate in life and the capacity to have healthy, nourishing relationships in both directions, both to receive that and to give that, what they do for a living seems, seems. a lot less important. If they don't go to Ivy League, I, I had a friend at the, at the church and we were talking to a group of parents and they were all you know nervous about their kid not getting into to university. And this gal kind of chuckled and leaned into the microphone and said, there are colleges all over the country who will take your checks. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, one of your questions is what, what, what are you most afraid of? Well, of my kid not getting into college. Yeah. That's virtually not going to happen. Yeah. Now may not be the one that you had in mind. <laughs> right. But, but then we start getting into some of the deeper issues. You know, I, I don't know if you had a chance to watch this um, documentary on Netflix about the college scandal, the college admission scandal. I, I haven't finished it, but oh my goodness. Yes. What, what a mess. What a perfect case study uh -huh. in modern parenting. And so imagine a scenario where you are loaded and you're a family that- With, with money, with money. <laughs> Lots of money, right? That's what yes. I mean. Yes. And, and you feel this pressure, you know, to get your kids into these top 20 schools. Uh, and, and they make the point that you just made, uh, the college admissions people will say that there are 3,000 colleges and getting into the top 20 is often simply about the brand name. Yes, prestige. Prestige is a word they used status. Yeah. So then what does that tell you about what is at the root of those fears? And of course, having a prestigious school in your, you know, would help you get interviews and be so it makes sense. It's not crazy. And, and the kids in that, in that documentary, were talking about their sense of failure by either by, by not being accepted yeah. into their top choice. And, and the, the anxiety and all the one girl was talking about, she took all these, these pre AP classes. I mean, she, she turned down, I think one girl turned down bands because that, that wasn't going to help her, you know? So she took classes she didn't want, she didn't like, and she turned down other opportunities um, in order solely to get into this prestigious college, which she, she, that one girl did not make. Yeah. And she 
she didn't say this, but to watch her, she felt like my future is wrecked. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the question I kept asking myself to what end, you know, and it, it gets back to what you were saying earlier about our definition of success. So what if you become a partner in a prestigious Washington DC law firm and you make loads and loads of money uh, to what end, you know, what is the actual good life that we are trying to achieve and how are we putting the fear of failing to achieve the good life onto our children? I think that's, that's a great question. I, I think as an alternative, and I, I think as an act of authenticity, I am not a wildly driven person. What? So, what? so you're, you're, you're hearing this from a non-Ivy League, non-hyper-achiever. Um, you were at UC Irvine. Go oh, anteater. What? No, no, I wasn't. Oh, but I. The things that make life good are worth considering, mm. and it's it's a reductionistic perspective to think that the most money equates the best life. Right, and and it's not categorically. They're not opposite. I'm not suggesting you know let's sh let's shoot for the middle, but. <laughs> <laughs> the most money does not equate to the best life. Yeah. You know, this is a popular topic uh, among millennials. Uh, they've endured a major economic downturn in 08 uh, now with the pandemic. So they've, they've seen some challenges in their career path. And many of them are opting out. There are these popular other lifestyles that are are very very trendy right now, like the uh, the tiny house movement. Uh -huh. And um, Marie and I love watching how they how they think they're gonna live this life in this tiny house with each other and wait till all the kids come along. But uh, it's fascinating to me because it does raise the question: What do we really need? Well, and. Christianity has a time-honored tradition of simplicity that, that helps one focus more on God and the people around you. I mean, that's, that's a theme that goes back thousands of years. And as our cultures, the whoop and wharf of culture and cultures, there are seasons in cultures where success is the only thing that matters, and it is often at the harm um, of its people. So I just, I, I don't want to say success is bad. That's, that would be equally reductionistic and, and naive, but the most money does not equate to the best life. And in fact, there's danger there that is worth considering. So I think to, to your question, you know, why, why are the parents afraid that their kids will fail? I, I want my kid to do really well, but it's also part of the, the job is for me to study my kid to find out what they've got on board. And we, we mostly don't know what their potential is. Right. I was they, about to make that same point. <laughs> and, 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 and they don't know what their potential is. Right. But 
it's not the moon. Mm. It is something less than that. And if we, if we push and I, and I, you know, this, this is worth, you know, again, I have my bias. I'm, I, I would tend to not push a kid as far as they will go for fear that I would go too far and break their heart and make them, as you were describing with the tiny house thing, opt out of, of life in some ways. Um, I'm not going to, and I have heard stories where kids, they, they, they leave college because they don't want what's on the other side. Mm. It's mm-hmm. terrifying. If they yeah. succeed, they, they're, ter- they're terrified of getting what they're after. And it, because it's so overwhelming. And I think there's some, some innate wisdom and intelligence there, but it's turning in on itself and they're, they're collapsing under the weight of it. So I, my instinct is to not do that, which I, I will error too soon where some parents might, you know, I want them to be the very best they can be. And that sounds like a very noble thing, but if you go too far, yeah, you can crush them. This, this is why parenting is no fun sometimes. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's knowing when to push and when to back off and knowing your kid, we, Marie uh, is very good at recognizing when the kids are uh, getting away with being lazy. Ah. And so she is, uh, she's got a keen eye for that. Uh, yeah. A very sensitive sense of smell. And she can <laughs> smell the stink of laziness. And so she stays on them and she checks the grades and she asks the tough questions. <laughs> and I, I tend to be a little more like, like you in this regard where, Um, I'm more worried about communicating that they have to succeed in order to get love from me. Uh Uh, I I want them to be decent human beings. I don't care what they do to earn a living. I I do want them to earn a living. (laughs) And and move out eventually. Yes. That's success. That's success. (laughs) So what, what are some, there seems like things that we want our kids to fail in, in the process of maturing. Oh yeah. Yeah. Failure is a, is a great teacher. So what would some of those, like if, if we could give a gift today, Mm. so parents, if your kid goes through this and I, and I think this is important kind of in a mentoring way, as, as we spend time with people, they, I often have someone come to me panicked because they're, you know, I spend a lot of time with married couples, but their, their wife has just had it with, with their behavior Mm -hmm. and they're, they're panicked. And I get to say, Oh, this is the best thing that's ever happened to you. This is not the worst day of your life. This is perhaps the best day of your life because Because this is an invitation toward healing and, Mm -hmm. and growth so sometimes to have someone who's been down the path to come back and say, I, you know, this hill that looks very difficult to climb over, this means you're close or yeah, this right. means there's water on the other side or so sometimes that's not intuitive, the journey that you're on. And it's good to have somebody oh, around. So true. So true. So what are some of those things as a parent? I see my kid experience X 
and yeah. I'm panicking, but you're going to comfort me. Yeah, it could be any number of things. I, I think it starts with listening to your kid. Um, you you kind of know their personality and their interests, and you encourage them to try something something new, uh, something maybe that they're a little nervous to try because they're afraid that maybe they won't be good at it. I think this is easier when they're younger because um, yeah. they are pretty much up for anything. You can sign them up for t-ball and they'll go out there and swing and miss all day and have a yeah. great time. Yeah. But as they get older, they have uh, more at stake in their, you know, fragile ego and sense of self. So they need more encouragement to try some of the things that, you know, they're interested in. So if they like music, maybe you encourage them to uh, try the guitar and pay for some guitar lessons if you can do that. And, and maybe it turns out they're not good at it and they hate it. And so you don't make them do it. But on the other hand, maybe they have a lot of potential, like you said, and you just have to encourage them to keep at it, keep trying and um, talk about how great it's going to be when they can play a cool guitar song for their friends. Uh, you know, I think it starts with listening and knowing them and setting some of those uh, preferred pictures of the future, uh, painting that picture for them and, and saying, what if you could speak Chinese? What if you could travel to China someday? What if you could um, build a robot? What if, you know, it's whatever yeah. they're into, you can cast that vision for them and then support them in that dream as they try and they fail. And, you know, I, I remember when our oldest son was trying to make the varsity soccer team at school and uh, the coach had already told him, uh, we already have a full team and we're probably not going to take you. And so we had a good talk about whether he should take no for an answer and right, right, right. get a new dream or whether he should go into a Rocky Balboa training yeah. montage and come back bigger and better and faster and stronger. And so we left the decision up to him and told him we would support him. I, I think he was in 10th grade at the time. So uh, he, he chose to try and we were proud of him. He, um, he got hooked up with a, uh, a club team, which cost us, probably more than we should have spent, <laughs> but we said, okay, for the next uh, three months. And the coach made us a sweet deal. He was a great guy. He said he would be happy to have Aaron participate on the club team for three months to train him so that he could be ready for the varsity tryout. Wow. And um, Aaron did very well in the club team training practices. He tried out for the varsity team and the coach said no. And of course, Marie and I went through the roof. <laughs> that's, that, that's a bad movie right there. Yeah. Yeah. But here's the, here's the happy ending. But yeah, that looks like a disaster. It looks like a disaster. However, he learned that it was not the end of the world he changed his athletic period, you know, class in high school to FFA, where he met some really wonderful 
girls that he liked a lot who were also interested in agriculture. There's a win. Yeah. And now he has been accepted in the ag business program at A&M that because he didn't make the soccer team, he got interested in this, uh, this other class, an agriculture class elective where he got involved in FFA because the girls were involved in that. And then he learned about, for for those of us who don't know, FFA means future farmers of America. Okay. I grew up in Southern California. I don't know. Well, right. It's not that different from the suburbs of Frisco. We, we've never grown anything. (laughs) That's a fantastic story. I mean, that, that is a good movie right there because the, the hero journey is you fail, you, you lose and you change direction and you find the path that you were supposed to be on. Yeah. And you, you couldn't have gotten there without the failure. And I think one of the great signs, and I think, you know, as it, I think more about young, young men than, than young women, cause I don't understand them, but for young, <laughs> for young men, an important part of their maturing and their they're coming into the world is having figured out that I'm not going to be a Marine. Mm. Like I thought I don't have, I can't do that. I'm, I'm not going to play in the NFL and, and it's a heartbreaker. I mean, it's, it's, that's a bad day. Yeah. But as you well described in your story, then you can look around over the horizon and say, okay, well, I, I can't do that. And that took up, all of my juice and all of my time. Well, what else is there? And maybe it's music. Maybe it's a thing that, that you had a, a longing for, but you, it was overshadowed by the, the potential glory of this first thing that yeah. needed to be removed. So that would be, that would be the kind of failure that you would pray for as a parent. Yeah. Yeah. I think when, you're trying to get back to that definition of success. There's just so many ways to, to look at that uh, in terms of what you, your, your kids end up doing uh, in terms of their career or their work. You know, you just want them to find and do what they're gifted at, what they enjoy and, and something hopefully that provides a, a living. Um, and yeah, it, it doesn't have to be, uh, associated with fame or, or great fortune. I don't know if you would agree, but parenting is tough. Oh, it's only hard if you want to be good at it. As this, my friend Molly says, this, this was not in the brochure when we were thinking about having babies. It, this, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, if we, just wanted, a, we just wanted cute little kids at Christmas time. We didn't know it was going to be all this, <laughs> but this, this is, this is the stuff and it, it is confusing and sometimes counterintuitive and sometimes our our stuff from the past comes up and interferes with with our parenting decisions um and i i think to the tune though of of failure um it is a great christian theme mm. yeah. in in the old testament god is delivering the 10 commandments and then chapters after that all of these other things to not do and to do and it it feels like this enormous burden and then when he finishes that list he begins very quickly talking about 
And when you do fail mm. doing these things, yeah. this is what you do. Right. So you take a dove and you go to the temple and you, you know, you, you take a bath for in and you take care of it because this sin, the shortcoming that you just experienced, this failure that you just experienced does need to get cleaned up, but not because the failure was the, the failure represents the, the damage to the relationship. That's right. Between us and God. That's the thing. And that can be repaired very quickly. Mm-hmm. And in the Old Testament, it was very physical. You know, if and, and you would know, you know, if I whatever, if I touched a dead animal by accident at work, I have to stop work. I have to go home, change my clothes, take a take a bath, change my clothes, take some animal, I'd, I'd have to look at the list of, you know, some, the bigger the sin, the, you know, you go up to yeah, a bull, but bigger the animal, a sparrow or a pigeon or whatever, a dove. And, and you go to the temple and you take care of it. And when you leave the temple, you're okay. That relationship has been restored. So God is in the full-time business of receiving us after a failure. Mm. Yeah. But Good way to put it. I still struggle with, and I certain I remember in high school thinking if I sinned, you know, a level two, I couldn't face God for a while. I had to like wait for the stink to wear off or something. I don't, I don't know. There, my my instincts were in reverse yeah. of what God is after. I felt like I needed to wait a while to to come to Him, and He's saying, "Come today." This 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 failure is an opportunity. opportunity for our relationship to be reconnected and even to grow. Yeah. And that's, that's part of the, 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 the very story of Christianity is failure is an opportunity for intimacy done mm-hmm. well. Now mm-hmm. you can fail badly, but you can fail well and restore the relationships, clean up the mess. One of the things that young men need to learn is when you when you do something disastrous, you clean up your own mess, mm-hmm. and that's that's a really important lesson to learn. And and men who have grown up not having to have done that, they're terrible husbands and they're terrible employees, and they mostly spend their time trying to tell you why it wasn't their fault. Instead of, I've got six people to apologize to. I've got to. Uh, reimburse my company for the thing and uh, you, you clean up the mess. Yeah. And that can only be learned on the other side of failure. Yeah. I think there's one final um, just thought on this topic that we haven't really touched on yet, but it's the importance of grace and resting in that future grace that God promises to have for us. And I find that the assurance of God's grace is what gives me the courage I need to, to take risks. And I think it's an important concept to try to get across to the kids that God is still going to be God and he's going to be good and he's going to be gracious toward you. And so your, your failures, they're not final and you learn from them and you go closer to God and those are gifts of his grace. So 
uh, it's an important concept and difficult for, for all of us, but especially for kids, because you sort of know you, you get what you deserve. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we, we drive that home all the time, right. As parents, but uh, sometimes we have to figure out, okay, how do we help them trust in the good grace of God? Well, that's a, that's an enormous theme. And for someone to grow up in a house lacking grace is soul crushing mm. and, and, and fear instilling. And for, you know, we use that word a lot in Christian circles um, and maybe without having really defined it very well, because the, the first impulse of many people is, well, if you go with grace, then everything will fall apart. If, if there's no accountability, if there's no rules, well, that's not, that's not what grace, grace is not no rules. <laughs> right. Can you, I'm, I'm putting you on the spot here. Can you work up a, a, a biblical definition for grace? Yeah, you know, it, it, it's certainly not the absence of rules. I think rules are uh, a form of grace. <laughs> if you think about, <laughs> this is where, as Christians, we get so confused about the Old Testament law, but Psalm 119 just continues to meditate on how good and, and <laughs> wonderful and, and gracious it is to have the law. Yeah. Uh, so to have those boundaries, to know what they are, because they tell us something about who God is. Uh, yeah, grace is that unmerited favor, that, that undeserved gift, that thing. Uh, the way I would put it is God's posture toward us is always love. It is loyal faithfulness. It is the old husband who's caring for his wife who has dementia and doesn't remember who he is anymore. He loves her because he loves her, right. not because of anything she can do for him. She doesn't yeah. even remember him anymore. It's the relationship. And so if there's this foundation in our families where the kids understand Yes, there are rules, and I'm going to lovingly apply the consequences to your life because I love you, because I love you, and I'm always going to love you, and that's never going to change based on your performance in school or in sports or whatever. Well, I like that a lot. I, it, grace can be confusing, depending upon our, more so depending upon our backgrounds. Enforcing rules in a way that will encourage growth that's grace and, and will help to mature, help them to think through why they did it. And will they do it again? I mean, that that's all part of the growth mentoring coaching process that, um, that, that is parenting. So I guess if we were going to be trying to summarize our discussion today, I, I would say that failure as a word is not universally a negative, should not be considered as a universally a negative. It's, it's impossible to avoid. I mean, just kind of from a physics perspective, you're, we are going to fail. How we respond to that is really, really important. Yeah. 
do we move away from God, which is the story a lot in the Old Testament, is people, nations sinned and moved away from God instead of toward where he would have redeemed that because that's what he wants to do. He wants to redeem all of our junk, but we have to go to him in order for that to happen. And, and our sin nature and Satan has trained us that God is ashamed of us when we sin mm. and will reject us, um, which is not true. It is that loving father who I think has his arms out all the time when we fail and he wants us to get back up and move toward him, not away. So failure as a word is not a universally negative thing. God expects it. I mean, he knows us. He's not gasping for air when, when, when we fail. And I mean, even like in big stuff, like life-changing failures, mm. he is ready to redeem those too if we move toward him. So that's, that's the big lesson is when there's failure, you can fail badly or you can fail well, clean up your mess, move toward God and, and be amazed at how he has already planned to redeem those things. And they will, I think almost always be redeemed in the direction of nourishing relationships, both with him and with the people around us. Cause I think he's much more interested in that than our financial success. Yeah, that's that, right. Does that, does that, have I overstated any of that? No, that's what we need. And, and I think we know we need that. Yeah. I just can, we're constantly bombarded by what a happy, successful life looks like. Uh huh. The media is not neutral on this, let alone, you know, pointing us toward God. And so no, it, it shows up everywhere, just uh, standing in the uh, or waiting in the carpool line as you're visiting with the other parents. <laughs> you know, there's there's sneaky little ways that we start to measure ourselves against yeah. other other people. Uh, I do it all the time. Well, at least if we did not solve the problem, at least we peeled back a layer or two, which I guess is the you know, if, if we failed at explaining this today, <laughs> we recognize that God has grace for us and perhaps a topic yeah. that could be talked about for, for days and weeks at a time without a pause, but we're not allowed to do that because this is a recorded episode that needs to be put together and put out. So, well, thanks Nathan for taking time out today um, and answering all all of the questions about teens and parenting. You're just a blessing to mankind, I must say. Well, Dave, it was a pleasure. I, I'd say it was the least I could do. Well, thanks again for being with us on today's Parenting Pathway podcast. There is a ton of other podcasts. I was just to say there are a ton of other podcasts. You know, grammar is important. Uh, blog posts, and just there's a lot of really good stuff on parenting and on the Christian journey, which can be confounding and confusing and difficult at times. And they can be found at our website, parentingpathway.org. I hope you'll join us again next time. And until then, remember, don't do parenting and don't do life alone.